0: she's tori
1: and he's nick
0: and this is i want to rewatch
1: the next files podcast season three
0: episode 11
1: revelations this episode originally aired friday december 15th 1995 it was written by kim newton and directed by David Nutter. This is the first of two episodes that Kim Newton will write for The X-Files, both of them this season. She's only the second woman to write for The X-Files so far, and this episode is her second writing credit, her first being on Chicago Hope, also in 1995. She will go on to write for several series and is also known as a producer, and she's actually doing both right up till today, so she's still working in the industry.
0: Yeah, on that whole second woman to write for The X-Files Actually, at one point, I looked this up and had the numbers. I don't remember now, so I might have got them slightly off. There's only like nine women, I think, altogether who write for the X-Files. One of them is actually Julian Anderson. Four of them are actually two sets of women. So it's like two women get credited for one episode. Hmm. And then the majority of them, like five out of the nine, actually occur like in the either in both the 2016 and 2018 season or just in the 2018 season. So like it's. It's a it's a dude fest for the X Files.
1: Yeah, it would make sense that they would start to diversify later when they realized, hey, maybe there's too many dudes on here. But yeah, Yeah. the '90s were very much a dude fest, pretty much everywhere for everything. And
0: as these things kind of work, when someone comes in, sometimes someone leaves. This is actually David Nutter's final episode directing X Files. He directed Mm -hmm. 15 altogether, the first being Ice. And they include other favorites like Beyond the Sea and Roland and Little Green Men and Clyde Brookman's Final Repose. As well as Shapes, the appropriation slash technically non werewolf episode. Blood, the I Can't Believe It's Not Vampires episode. Three, the I Wish It Wasn't Vampires episode. (laughs) And Tori's favorite episode of all time. You know it. You love it. Irresistible. (laughs) He will, however, return to X-Files, sort of. Because he will direct... Four episodes of the first season of millennium including the first two episodes so nice kind of an x-files adjacent directorial job
1: Mm -hmm. revelations was filmed in british columbia canada and it had a viewership of 15.25 million which is down 2.5 million from the last episode which is nearly 14 percent yeah and the week before, on December 8th, Fox aired a repeat of Fresh Bones, which is not a David Netter episode.
0: No, it's not. That would have been kind of cool if it was. but no, yeah. yeah. Also, going forward, we are dropping viewership numbers from our future discussions. They're not really that useful. We've talked about this before. They're basically kind of made up. They will resurface temporarily when we start our Millennium episodes, which will actually be in our Patreon X-Files Adjacent podcast on April 1st of 2020, which will also be when David Nutter resurfaces. So if nothing else, you have that to look forward to. Nice.
1: In this episode, a reverend is murdered after exhibiting stigmata in front of his parish. Mulder thinks he's another in a line of victims killed by someone who's targeting those who fake stigmata. When they hear about a boy who had a stigmata like incident in class, they go to investigate. Scully thinks the boy may be the real deal, while Mulder thinks it's merely a case of a fanatic murderer and child abuse.
0: Ooh. Mulder coming in with the hot takes. All right,
1: mm-hmm. Yeah, he's got some theories.
0: Yeah, so we are in the First Church of Redemption in Waynesburg, Pennsylvania. And Reverend Findlay stands in front of a stained glass cross and he gives a sermon. He's talking about how he once counseled a little girl who said her brother told her Moses hadn't really parted the Red Sea. He said high winds and ocean currents were responsible, and that had shaken the child's faith. The girl asked him if there really were such things as miracles, or if the stories in the Bible are make-believe. The Reverend assured her that yes, miracles really do happen. Most people today put faith in science, but miracles need no rationale, no justification. You must witness the miracles of the Lord without question. And he stands still for a moment because as he's speaking, he like lifts his hands up. And then he says, my blood flows as a test of your faith. And blood starts flowing out from his hands, from his fingers, because he's got the backs of his palms to us. So we see the blood kind of like trickling between the fingers and like running down his wrists and stuff. And he says, it's then and only then will you understand the awesome power of the mighty Lord. And then after the sermon. The Reverend is back in a dressing room area and he's like removing his tie and kind of like unbuttoned his shirt a little bit. And he sits down on the dressing table and he's kind of like taking off. I guess he was wearing makeup or something. He's kind of like on those little makeup removal things of like rubbing mm-hmm. his eyes. And one of the men we were like focusing on, like, especially when the blood started coming out, we were all the people were like, oh, like, you know, get in the spirit. Now, one of the persons that we kept seeing was a man. And this man now is in his dressing room. And we'll find out later his name is Gates, but he comes in and tells the reverend he was impressed with his sermon earlier. And the man wants to tell him that some of them do believe. And the reverend says he appreciates that. It's good to know he's touched someone. And Gates says, oh, I think you had an effect on a lot of people. Me, most of all. And he puts his hand on the reverend's shoulders, and then he spins him around, pushes him up against the wall. And it looks like he actually lifts him up off the ground, like by one hand, sort of like he's on the wall and he's holding him up and Finley's like, oh my God. And then Gates strangles him. And while he's doing that, like smoke or something is like coming out of his hand. And then we see blood dripping onto the Reverend's
1: white shoes. Mm -hmm. It's the theme song. Ooh, creepy. Yeah. So Reverend Finley is played by Arlie Ermey, who had a long career in things like Full Metal Jacket and Seven. He's also done a lot of voice work in things like Toy Story, The Simpsons, Spongebob. Interestingly enough, or at least interesting to me, he played House's father in the show House, and he played the janitor's father in the show Scrubs. So those are two shows I liked a lot. I thought that was interesting.
0: Yeah, I think he's probably most famous for Full Metal Jacket because playing the drill sergeant. Probably. It's kind of funny because I'm watching this and I'm like, that dude looks like he should be like a drill sergeant. Like he just had that look. I didn't realize it was actually Arlie Ermy because well, I'm so used to seeing them with this, the staff sergeant hat, like pushed over his head. So you he can barely uh-huh. even see his eyebrows kind of thing. And so like the fact that he had like the hair he has and all like, it's like, it didn't recognize them. And then I saw your notes and I was like, Oh, that is hilarious. <laughs>
1: you know, That's why. You know, yeah.
0: There's actually another story that I just have to share a little bit of. So I was listening to a podcast called cautionary tales and they actually were airing, an episode of another podcast called The Happiness Lab. And this was on August 22nd for Cautionary Tales. And strangely, it was actually the August 23rd episode of Happiness Lab. But it's about how to heal a broken heart and the pain of rejection. And it tells the story of the guy who was actually supposed to have the role of the drill sergeant in Full Metal Jacket and then got replaced by Arlie Ermey.
1: Oh, weird. So Arlie
0: Ermey was hired to be the technical advisor for the movie for all the military stuff, right? And for the drill sergeant stuff, make sure that it was like being realistic. But during screen test, Kubrick really liked this other dude whose name is Tony Colseri. And so he was hired and he went out and did all this kind of stuff. But then, like, Arlie Ermey's agents were like, Mm-mm-mm. And so they actually got him the role. And so the other guy, the other guy actually does get a role in the movie firing a machine gun from a helicopter. And he goes on to do some other stuff too. But it was just really interesting. I didn't know that story, and so the whole like thing. I mean, there's a story about that with a movie Tori knows a little bit about called Blade as well. Yeah. Um, so I mean, you're probably going to talk about that on your podcast. Vampires ruined my life.
1: Yeah, we are talking about Blade. I think that's our fifth episode is going to be. Are you Blade, talking about so. that
0: that story with Wesley Snipes and?
1: We are. It's going to come up. I'm sure. Okay. Cool. <laughs> we're yeah. we're still doing our research now, but I have read about yes. that, so I'm sure.
0: Tybo will be mentioned. So Billy Blanks. <laughs> yep. Yeah, but I just thought that was interesting because I was like, I didn't like the just like those two connections of like, I thought that I was like, this guy seems like he should be a drill sergeant. And then it actually was Arlie. Yeah, it right.
1: was the guy and who. And
0: <laughs> then I just recently heard this podcast about a story I'd never heard about a movie that I really like. So it was just kind of interesting because he is so <laughs> iconic in that movie. And yes. then the fact that like he originally wasn't going to be in it, like he was just going to be like the technical advisor for it. So it was just kind of interesting.
1: Yeah, it is. It's funny how Hollywood works. It's a weird, weird place. Yep. So speaking of weird places, Listen. Scully is in the dressing room. She's examining the body. And she says the marks on the neck look like ligature marks, but there's a lot of blood for someone who is strangled. And Mulder bends down next to her and he tells her that parishioners said the reverend was bleeding from his hands like the wounds of crucifixion. And Scully's like, stigmata? And Scully checks Finley's hands and wrists, but there are no wounds at all. So Mulder tastes the blood that's pulled next to Finley. And like Scully's kind of horrified. She's like, what are you doing?
0: That is a good scene. Especially because when he goes to talk, he's got like his lips and his teeth are all red. It's great.
1: She's just like super grossed out and just like, what the heck are you doing? And then Mulder opens Finley's shirt all the way. And we see there's like plastic blood bags and tubes because the blood is made of corn syrup. And he says fake, just like the others. And Scully's like, what others? So Mulder has been tracking because Mulder's always tracking weird murders. He has. I'm surprised he doesn't have more of those like pin boards in his office with like cotton strings like he should have several of those just rolled up in a corner that he rolls out.
0: I mean, that's not really a good filing system. honestly.
1: It's not. But I feel like that's (laughs) a visual. It's not really a good. (laughs) So Mulder's been tracking this international series of murders. All victims apparently suffered from stigmata, but it turns out all of them were frauds like the reverend here. And Scully tells Mulder that according to some religious lore, there are 12 people with stigmata in the world at any given time to represent the 12 apostles. As she says this, she goes over to a desk and she opens a Bible that has drips of fake blood on the pages. And Mulder says it's a claim that's wholly unsubstantiated. Mulder says there have been many pretenders, 11 of whom have been murdered in the past three years. Hmm. Scully asks if he has any idea of the motive. And Mulder says either it's a psychotic religious fanatic who's trying to expose these frauds, or maybe a pragmatic psycho who harbors murderous intent towards the church, or maybe just a disgruntled altar boy. Either way, if Mulder's right, it's safe to say the killer is here and looking for victim number 12. Yeah,
0: I kind of like the... uh... And Mulder's like, that's a claim that's wholly unsubstantiated. I wasn't sure if he was being jokey there and being like, it's wholly unsubstantiated. <laughs> like a
1: little pun, yeah. Yeah,
0: like a little pun. It could be. He didn't, like, focus on it as much as I probably would. Like, that's wholly unsubstantiated. But, yeah, I was just kind of like, mm, I wonder, because homonym. And then also, when he says, like, it's a disgruntled altar boy scholar, he's like, well, that narrows the... <laughs>
1: <laughs> it narrows, the it really narrows it
0: down. So. Yeah, it's not... <laughs> well, that was kind of funny too. Yeah. The only thing I didn't was like Mulder's been tracking this international series of murders, and so it seems weird that like if this was one of them, that the killer would still be there. Like, wouldn't he be off looking for like the next one? Like, why would he still be like in the same location if he's been right. traveling the world doing all these murders? Why would suddenly there be two in the same town? It yeah, crazy.
1: it's more like the killer was here and now he's yeah. out looking for victim number 12 yeah exactly
0: so that that part was it was a good i like this scene but it was that but that little last yeah. bit was kind of like why would he still be there <laughs> it seems like he'd be gone so yeah so then we are at ridgeway elementary school in loveland ohio and a teacher mrs Tyne, stands in front of the room asking if the class studied with their flashcards for today's quiz and a kid kevin Kreider uses a straw to spit a spitball at a redheaded headed girl. And then she's like, geek! And then so the teacher asks him to come up to the board to do the math problems, because she's like... She actually really calls him out in not a cool way in the class, and it's kind of like really like not doing good teacher stuff, honestly, in this scene.
1: Yeah, but, she kind of teases him and like... But it, it kind of...
0: She kind of teases him and then mocks him. Yeah, and then, it kind of yeah, goes yeah, a little not, far,
1: because then the other... I mean, he seems... a. He kind of smiles and doesn't seem like super devastated by it, but it is kind of weird for the teacher to be like egging the class on to like laugh. Yeah, at him. it was
0: a little yeah, because she's yeah. totally like, yeah, she's, she's going for laugh lines when she's right. talking to him. Yeah, she totally is.
1: Although maybe that's how she punishes people who act up, which is not a great system. <laughs> which again, stand. not great,
0: not great. yeah. So yeah. kids have enough trouble with math anxiety, lady, don't be helping. OK.
1: Oh my gosh, yeah. yeah, because
0: that's my real life job. <laughs> dealing with that anxiety. So the teacher asks him if he knows the division sign, and the class laughs. Kevin kind of hams it up a little bit. Not that much. Not as much as the teacher is, honestly. Right. And then the teacher asks him to divide 11 into 170. And so we're doing old school division here, too. So, yes. And so he starts to draw the problem on the board, but then his hand starts to shake, and then blood starts coming down from his fingers, and he drops the chalk, and it's got blood on it. And it breaks on the floor. And then he holds up his hands, which have circular wounds in the center of the palms that are bleeding. Mm -hmm.
1: Mm. Like stigmata.
0: I guess I was right because we are no longer in Waynesburg, Pennsylvania. We are now in Loveland, Ohio. So yay me.
1: (laughs) (laughs) And Kevin Kreider is played by Kevin Zegers, who was born in 1984. So he was 11 when this episode was filmed. He's actually known to me really well, although I did not recognize him. He looks familiar, but he looks way different when he's older, obviously, as people do. He's most known to me as the actor who played Alec Lightwood in the movie adaptation of Mortal Instruments City of Bones. He was 29 when that was filmed. Alec is supposed to be 17, going on 18. And that movie never got a sequel. They eventually made a TV show, but like with a different cast. So that's where I know him from. And he's recently appeared in Fear the Walking Dead. And a show called Rebel, which I don't really know what that is, but that's what he's doing these days. About rebels, Dottie. I guess so. I guess so.
0: It's like his name, his real name is Kevin. So I wonder if that's just a thing they do for little
1: kids. I mean, he's not it might happy, be but, make yeah. it easier. So that when they're calling his name, it's yeah. confusing. to. The, I don't know. Or maybe it's just one of those coincidence things where that was how the script was written and he auditioned and they're like, oh, you're Kevin too. Cool.
0: Yeah. Yeah, I never know about that kind of stuff, so.
1: So Karina Maywald from Social Services leads Mulder and Scully to Mrs. Tynes' classroom. Mulder thanks her for contacting them so quickly. And she says when she read the FBI's alert, she immediately thought of Kevin. And inside the classroom, we see Kevin is at a desk and the school nurse is bandaging his hands. And Scully says Maywald mentioned a previous incident. And Maywald tells them that last year, Kevin arrived at school with bleeding wounds on his hands and feet. Their first concern is always parental abuse. And that appeared to be the case at first. Kevin's father was arrested and the boy was taken into court custody. But the state dropped the charges for lack of evidence and the mother sued to get custody back. The father was institutionalized soon after. And Mulder asked what he was institutionalized for. Apparently soon after his release, he locked himself and Kevin in the house, taking the kid hostage. And he was waving a gun at the police, saying he had to protect the boy because Kevin was chosen by God. So Mulder's not kidding. They did get there quick. Although at first I thought they were just bandaging Kevin's hands. It turns out we kind of learn from the story that his hands keep bleeding. And so they have to keep rebandaging them. So that's why the nurses there putting the bandages on. Cause I was like, wow, that was super fast. Like he just started bleeding and they got there. Well,
0: especially but- cause you assume like they had to put the FBI alert out. Right. So were they still hanging out in like Waynesburg? Right. And then I think my geography is awful without a map. I think Ohio and Pennsylvania are next to each other, but even if so, like still, they would have had to like drive from like town to town, if nothing else, even if they're like super next to each other, like right on two sides of the border or something. So, yeah, yeah. This is a little like uh, three where Mulder just magically arrives in L.A. while they're still like doing the crime scene stuff.
1: Yeah, Um, it is really, really quick. (laughs) Obviously, probably hours after the first incident, but still very, very fast.
0: Yeah. Yeah. Because they had to put the alert out. That's the thing. Yeah. So, yeah. Yeah so because also we don't know if this is like days later the same day we have no clue so i doubt it's the same day based on the fact
1: probably not it, no but like still they got there quick from the time that they called like yeah they it heard seems about weird Kevin. that they
0: didn't throw in a days later thing or something yeah because they do that later with at the very end so i
1: feel like the x-files is super weird about when they give us date stamps and timestamps. like it's super weird it's never when you think they would it's always just some random time you're like what why are you what yeah. why can't you just give us day stamps yeah. all the time because you
0: know, you're watching in your head you're like oh this is like the same day obviously it's not the same day it's probably, mm-hmm. but you don't know how much time has passed so right and no matter how much time has passed especially if they're i mean if, if they're in washington dc then it's like holy shit
1: um, yeah, the fact that they got to his school before yeah, if school they're still ended. in
0: Pennsylvania. I'm like, it's still kind of like because they're not even in the same state, but yeah. So then Mulder goes off with Maywald and Scully enters the classroom and she sees the wound as the nurse is rewrapping, can kind of actually see the wound itself. And it looks kind of like a like, you know, someone put a nail through his palm. And the nurse finishes and then Scully sits down in front of Kevin and she introduces herself and asks if she can talk to him for a minute. And he asks if he's going back to the shelter. And Scully says, they don't know yet. They need to find out what happened. And she asks if he knows how he got the cuts on his palms. And he says, no. And she asks if he doesn't know or if he just can't tell her. And he says that she just wants him to say his dad did it. And she's like, I don't want you to say anything that isn't true. And Kevin then says that he doesn't feel very good. And so Scully fills his forehead and tells the nurse that he does feel a little feverish. So the nurse puts a the thermometer in his mouth. And then while that's happening in the hall, Kevin's mom, Susan Kreider, arrives. And she asks Maywood if Kevin is all right. And Maywald says he is. The nurse is just changing his bandages. And then Kevin's mom says to herself that she thought this was all over. Mulder goes over and introduces himself. And she is surprised the FBI is there. And Mulder tells her they have a reason to believe Kevin may be in some danger. And so she asks him, danger from what? And Mulder tells her, as strange as it sounds... Someone may be targeting people, exhibiting wounds that could be seen as having religious significance.
1: hmm Yeah. Meanwhile, the temperature on the thermometer climbs, and then it breaks, and it surprises the nurse and Scully and Kevin. Like, they're all just, whoa, what happened? Yeah. Out in the hall, Susan tells him that Kevin is just a normal kid, and he probably just hurt himself on the playground. Mulder tells her he's sure there's an explanation, but right now the concern should be for Kevin's safety. Maywald says she'd like to put Kevin back in the shelter until they can sort this out. And Susan is pissed. Obviously, i mean, I understand why. But she's insisting that she would never cut his hands or hurt him like that. She's already fought this battle and it tore her family apart. She's not going to fight it again. So then Susan heads into the classroom and Maywald kind of jokes. She's like, oh, I love my job. <laughs>
0: yeah, I don't know. As we mentioned in the Kalashari, never a great idea to like antagonize social workers who may be able to take kids away
1: it no definitely not I
0: mean I get it but still not the best move so yeah
1: yeah I mean she's obviously frustrated but yeah not not good Susan Kreider is played by Haley Tyson who's been in a handful of other things although nothing since 2005 but what stuck out to me is that she did appear in an episode of forever night so I Mm -hmm. thought that was cool I used to like that show a lot
0: you don't remember her from Forever Night, though. You just, when you were looking at the stuff, you saw her, that she was right. In Forever Night, right? Okay.
1: Yeah. Just and curious. yeah, she was just in one episode, too. So I don't know how big of a role.
0: Well, it could have been a standout episode or something like that. you know. So you never know. But sometimes I remember, we talked about this in some of our upcoming Patreon episodes. So we're like, I remember people from like TV shows when I was a little kid because they were in one thing. And it's like just burned in my brain. Mm-hmm. So, Yeah. Anyway, Scully comes out of the classroom and joins Mulder. And as they walk down the hall, she tells him that Kevin's hand were definitely cut. Mulder says they're taking the kid into custody and he's warned them about Kevin's safety. So he doesn't know what else they can do. Scully asks if he knows how Kevin got the cuts. And Mulder suspects the kid maybe did it to himself. He's like, maybe he cuts himself out of trauma. You know, they have these issues with his dad and stuff. And so maybe it's just like a trauma related kind of thing. And Scully suggests that they talk to the father. And Mulder's like, he's in an institution. And Scully says that his father said he needed to be protected. Maybe he knows from whom. Mm-hmm. So, Yeah. So then they're at the institution with Kevin's father. His name is Michael Kreiter, And he just says, like, he's bleeding again, isn't he? And Scully asks how he knows that. And Michael says, because the faithful know. Mulder tells him the claims he's made about his son may have put Kevin in danger. But Michael says Kevin's been in danger since the day he was born, long before he started saying things. And the forces of darkness have been watching him. They will come in the form of a powerful and respected man. Mulder asks what those forces want. And Michael says, To claim all souls. This is the great war between good and evil. And then Scully says, Armageddon. And Michael nods and says, But God will find someone to stop it, someone who is strong enough to make the sacrifice. And Mulder asks if Michael means himself. But Michael says he's merely a messenger. So Mulder's kind of like, I'm done with this stuff, right? So he starts <laughs> to go and, and like let's, let's leave Scully. And then Kreider whispers to Scully as they're walking out that she must come full circle to find the truth. And Scully turns back to him as like, come full circle to find. I don't know what you're talking about or what you mean. And Michael says that she will.
1: Mm-hmm. Not cryptic at all. No. So then we're at the Lindley home for children and we see Kevin and he's surrounded by other children and he has a flashlight and he's telling them a scary story about two kids running down a long hall and the doors are locked and they're being chased by a mutant with a taste for young flesh. Yeah. And one of the kids asks what the mutant looks like. And so Kevin says he looks like the devil and bald because all of his hair burned off in hell and his fingers look like pitchforks. And then we see a bald man with kind of pointy ears moving through the hall of the home as Kevin talks. And Kevin continues the story. and He's like, the man gets closer. Step by step by step. And the man who was walking through the hall opens the door and the other children see him and they like scream and flee. And the man approaches Kevin and he just walks up to him and takes his hands and looks at his hands, kind of turns his palms over and we see that his wounds are bleeding again.
0: <sighs> and
1: then it's commercial.
0: Commercial. One died, at least. That's good.
1: Yeah. yeah. So then Mulder's asking some of the boys at the shelter about the man's hair because they're trying to get the kids to describe the suspect.
0: Yeah, they're doing a drawing.
1: Yeah. Right. Yeah. And one of the kids says, he didn't have hair. He was bald. And the other's like, because it all burned off in hell. (laughs) It's so funny. It's good. So Mulder stands and he asks if the man was like his height, taller, shorter. And the kids tell him he was much taller and dressed all in black. And Scully goes over to Kevin's bed and she pulls back the blanket and she sees a bloody handprint on the sheets. And then Susan Kreider arrives and she demands to know where Kevin is. And Scully tells her that Kevin was abducted from this room. And Susan is understandably angry. Like, obviously, they took her kid away to protect him. And now he's been kidnapped. So, yeah, I wouldn't be super happy either. And she's like, you were supposed to protect him. And so Mulder apologizes to her.
0: And then Mulder and Scully walk away. And he shows her the composite sketch from the kids' descriptions. And Scully says, that isn't the killer. And Mulder's like, yeah, no kidding. Because Mulder thinks like, yeah, these kids are just imagining, right? There's no way this even looks like a person. Mm -hmm. But Scully means that none of the previous victims were abducted. So this doesn't match the MO. And Mulder tells her that none of the other victims were 10 year old boys. So it may be slightly different. And then Susan walks over and asks if that's the man who took Kevin. And Mulder's like, yeah, but we're not sure how accurate it is. And she's like, it's Owen. Owen Jarvis is a man she hired to do yard work. So it is a real person she like recognized it right away Mm -hmm. so yeah so then we see owen and he's showing kevin a replica of noah's ark and he has carved all the animals himself and so he's like you know putting them on the ark and showing kevin and kevin's just like when are you gonna take me home and owen tells him there's no reason to be afraid he's not going to hurt him he's been watching kevin and kevin is a very special boy kevin wants to go home but owen's like I can't let you because it's not safe. He kind of like raises his voice. But then he lowers it back down, realizing he's like getting a bit angry. And he says that I'm your friend and you have to trust me. And he's like, think of me as your guardian angel. And then outside a car pulls up and Owen puts his hand on Kevin's mouth to make sure he doesn't make any noise. And he looks out the window and he sees a car pull up and he tells Kevin not to say a word. So then he leaves Kevin in the attic because they're in the attic, I guess. And then he heads down. He grabs a shotgun and he runs to the front door. And then Mulder and Scully burst in, guns drawn, tell him put down his weapon. So he does. And Mulder's like, where's Kevin? And Owen doesn't answer. So Scully runs past and goes in the house looking around. And then she does. Owen's like, don't hurt him. And then Scully sees the pool thing on the attic door. So she pulls it and lets the ladder down. And then she heads up and calls out for Kevin. But the attic appears empty.
1: Uh-oh. Yeah. So Mulder cuffs Owen to a chair in the attic. And he asks where Kevin is. And Owen says, Kevin can't go home. It's not safe there. And Mulder picks up a towel from the floor. I think it's on the floor. It might be on the table. But it has blood on it. And he shoves it in Owen's face. And he's like, is this Kevin's blood? And Owen says, yes. And Mulder asks if he hurt Kevin. And Owen says, no. He's not the one who wants to hurt him. He was only asked to protect the boy. And Mulder's like, who asked you that? And Owen says, God. And Mulder makes a joke about how that's quite a long distance call. And Owen says, Mulder doesn't understand Unless someone protects Kevin, it's the end of the world as we know it, Mulder finishes. And he demands to know where Kevin is again. And then Owen turns to Scully and he says, you believe me, don't you? He nods to her cross and he's like, you must wear that as a reminder. And Scully tells him that her religious convictions aren't the issue here. But then Owen insists they are. How can they help Kevin if they don't believe? Even the killer believes. Owen tells Scully that mass on Christmas fish on Friday, that doesn't make her a good Christian. Owen doesn't question God's word and whatever he asks of him, Owen will do. And then Owen stands and Mulder's like, sit down. And he's like, I just want to go to heaven. And then he runs towards the attic window and crashes through and Scully runs to the window while Mulder heads for the like attic ladder and below Scully sees Owen struggle But then he sits up, and he breaks the cuffs, and he gets to his feet, and he runs. And Mulder tries to chase after him, but he's gone.
0: Yeah, he is, like, gone. Like, just, like, he runs out of the frame, and then Mulder comes around the corner. And, like, then Mulder runs past. We follow Mulder. And it's like, dude, where did he get? Like, seriously, like, where did he go? Because, like, in the time frame, like, there was no place for him to go and hide. It was like, Mm -hmm. he is gone. So, yeah, it's kind of weird. Owen is played by Michael Berryman. And Barryman was born with hypohidrotic ectodermal dysplasia, which is a rare condition that is characterized by the absence of sweat glands, hair, and fingernails. So he has no body hair. He has no fingernails, which I did not know. And we do see in the scene, he does not have fingernails. I also didn't know that he didn't have sweat glands. I knew he had the no hair thing. I didn't know that he had this. I thought he had like alopecia or something. I didn't know he had this. His unusual physical appearance, however, allowed him to make a career out of playing like monsters and horror movies and b-movies and he's really active like on the convention circuit he goes to all kinds of conventions nice. um, he came to prominence playing roles in one Foot of the cougar's nest in 1975 and then in the hills have eyes in 1977 but for me where i recognize him from is he was one of the mutant bikers and he's actually credited as mutant biker in weird science from 1985 okay along with vernon wells who plays lord general in weird science actually doing the character that he does in The road warrior, he's like playing the exact same character. It's kind of cool. That may be a callback reference. Kevin's story talking about a mutant that is chasing kids. I don't know if that's a callback or not, but the kids did exaggerate one thing, though. Michael Berryman is only six foot two.
1: Okay.
0: Because Mulder's all like, is he taller than me? Six foot two, six foot three, six foot four. And the kid's like, way taller. (laughs) Yeah. Side note, Michael Schiavelli, who played Lanny in Humbug, was also in One Flew of the Cuckoo's Nest. They were mm-hmm. in One Flew of the Cuckoo's together, along with like Danny DeVito and obviously Jack Nicholson and all that kind of stuff. So, yeah. As I mentioned, David Duchovny is six foot. I have mentioned several times that Gillian Anderson is five foot two. And that's because in contemporary things, she is always listed as five foot two. If you look up her height now, it's actually listed as five foot three. So, I don't know if she grew an inch in the last like almost 30 years or what. But yeah, so contemporary stuff, she's listed as five foot two. Now, if you look it up, she's listed as five foot
1: three. It could be one of those things, too, where she's kind of on the half. And so they round down and round up or something. Yeah. Cause I'm kind of like that, too. I'm like five, three, and some change. And so sometimes it shows up more like five, four, and sometimes it shows up as five, three. And so it's like, yeah. could go either way.
0: And then she of Ellie is like six foot four. So, mm-hmm. I mean, you
1: know. yeah, he was a tall guy.
0: Yeah. And then while checking out the Jillian Anderson height thing, I also learned they had a thing called the Jilly Board we talked several times about how David Coveney's six foot tall and she's only like five foot two. (laughs) And so like when they're doing like the the more (laughs) close-up scenes where they're talking to each other, they actually had a little thing she would stand on. So they would be (laughs) talking. closer in height
1: i think i remember that and i know their photo shoots where like you see the photo that's like the promo photo or the poster or whatever yeah and, and then like you shorter. see the behind the scenes and she's standing on a board or like yeah she's yeah. just way shorter because she yeah they, is. yeah when
0: you see the full body one she's obviously and you can see that in the show too like sometimes they walk into a room and they mm-hmm. show the full shot right and you can see she's way short but when they do like the more close-up stuff where they're talking she was always standing on a little thing and they call it the jelly board
1: that's cute so, that's cute yeah. i like that
0: so then it's nighttime. And we see Kevin open the door to his house. This house is spooky looking. I'm sorry. I realize it's nighttime. The house he lives in is spooky looking. Anyway, <laughs> he goes in and he calls her his mom. No one answers. But then the doorbell rings. So Kevin like kind of like creeps over to a window by the door. And he kind of peeks out. He can't really see the person. But he can see that it's kind of like a man standing there by the door. So then he walks away. He's like, I'm not answering that door. But then as he does that. The camera pans over to, like the floor in front of the door and the door handle just like falls onto the rug there. And we see the end is like all hot, like it's all like red. And then it kind of like, goes back to normal color. It's been burned off, kind of smoking. And the door opens and we see Gates, the man who killed Findlay. And he steps inside and he's like, Kevin. Then Gates heads upstairs. And as he's going, he's talking and he's like, I know you're here, Kevin. And then he opens the door to a room. And he sees a family photo of the criters all sitting around a Christmas tree. And then his attention is drawn to a closet. So he opens the closet, turns on the light, pushes back the clothes. But we see that Kevin is hiding in a wicker laundry basket and is watching him. And the gates turns and sees two drips of blood coming down the sides of the wicker basket from the outside. And when we see Kevin inside... Like, you can see that his hands are bleeding again. Also, Kevin is breathing super loud. So I would uh-huh. think that, like, the guy would hear him, not just see the blood. So it looks like he just sees the blood. So he opens the lid of the wicker basket, and he goes to grab Kevin. But then Owen, like, Wah! tackles him. And then he knocks Gates to the ground. And then he yells at Kevin to run. And then Gates overpowers Owen and strangles him. And as he does, smoke comes out of the little. Strangly parts. So, you don't know Ooh. if it's coming from Owen's neck or Gates's hands or both. But anyway, but Kevin runs for the door. He's back downstairs. And then Mulder and Scully enter and he's like, Upstairs. Because the other ass is like, Are you okay? So, Scully stays with him and Mulder goes upstairs and he finds Owen dead. Oh, his neck is all like burned to shit. Mm-hmm. And then Kevin asks Scully if he's the one that is sent to protect him. And Scully just kind of like, What? and we have a commercial so, Yeah, yep. she's
1: like i don't know kid if i want that responsibility that's yeah. a lot to put on me
0: Dude, i'm a woman with a career i don't need a kid
1: okay, <laughs> i don't need a kid to protect <laughs> i made that choice in jersey devil when i decided not to date anymore and yeah i've adopted a dog You have not seen scully's dog oh yeah we do coming up in a couple okay
0: yeah we, yeah we haven't seen because we assume that she like kept him
1: yeah i'm TV assuming together. she has a really good dog sitter or something yeah. dog walker comes by all the time and feeds Yeah, it's not Cleet. a
0: cat you can't just like you know
1: you can't just leave a cat either
0: <laughs> no you can't but you i can know some people little... do
1: but my cat would get so stressed out yeah i mean maybe for a day or two but yeah i like... mean
0: the cat's not gonna piss and shit on your floor the dog
1: will so it's true gone for too long. Are... So, yeah anyway thanks anyway scully has owen jarvis on the autopsy table And into her tape recorder, she says the cause of death is consistent with strangulation and consistent with previous victims, including the burn marks around the neck. And there appears to be a pattern on the right side of his neck as well, possibly a handprint. She makes note of it because she wants the lab to take a closer look.
0: Yeah, it is weird because she says handprint, but she's clearly looking at a fingerprint.
1: Yeah. Yeah. And she also notes that it's been 14 hours since death and the body has not yet started to break down in any way nor has rigor mortis set in. And his core temperature remains at 98 degrees. Mulder comes in and she asks Mulder to smell the corpse. (laughs) He looks at her for a really long moment, and then he does it, and he asks what he's supposed to be smelling, and she asks if he detects a faint floral odor. He doesn't. She tells him that Owen's body is in no way decomposing normally. In Catechism, they learned of people like this, so-called incorruptibles whose bodies wouldn't decay and emitted the smell of flowers." Mulder's like, are you serious? And then she starts listing saints and Mulder's like, St. Owen? And Scully doesn't know. And Mulder says, those stories are mostly regarded as fabrications, not historical truths, just like the occurrence of stigmata. And Scully's like, okay, well, what do you think it is? And Mulder says, well, Owen was abnormal in life. Maybe he's decomposing abnormally too. And Scully says, isn't a saint or holy person just someone who's abnormal? And Mulder asks if she really believes that. And she says she believes the idea that God's hand can be witnessed and that he can create miracles. And Mulder's like, even if science can't explain them? Because, you know, normally Scully needs the science, right? And she says, maybe that's just what faith is. And Mulder tells her not to let faith overwhelm her judgment. These people are just fanatics behaving fanatically. He thinks once Scully finishes her autopsy, she'll come to the same conclusion. I do, I really do love this. I love when they kind of flip it though, like this, like the dynamic where Scully's the one who believes and Mulder's skeptical. Because it's interesting to me, like the stuff that different characters believe. Like Scully always believes in the faith based stuff, and she tends to believe in stuff when it relates to like her personal grief or whatever. But she's way more skeptical about like aliens and extraterrestrials. Whereas Mulder is very wary of con artists. He seems to be very like he doesn't like con artists. And I guess because he probably does all this research into the paranormal and supernatural, he probably encounters a lot of con artists.
0: Well, and also if you if you come across a con artist, that puts everything else into disrepute, right? Because it makes stuff like, oh well, all of it's like that, right? So
1: right. Well, if like eleven out of twelve people who have stigmata are proven fakers then why wouldn't the 12th person also be a faker or an incident of something else going on or something yeah yeah
0: this does i mean it's one of those things like the way they do this like and like you said it's like different people will adhere to one thing and then like they will not believe other things. Mm-hmm. It does just make like her adamant skepticism elsewhere, like even more frustrating sometimes. Like when like when she's being like super skepticism, mm-hmm. like where I like it's like it happened to her and she still refuses it, like and she sees it and she still doesn't believe in it because like she can't, it just makes that even more frustrating. Cause then this is the same kind of thing, right? Like, you know, religious belief or whatever.
1: So right. like because she does it's have religion, that it's fine. religious faith, but yeah, that's that's different. It's different than aliens, and there must be an explanation yeah. for the aliens, but for a miracle. Not necessarily, because that's God. Yeah, it's it's an interesting dynamic. I do appreciate it, and I like that there are things where Scully is willing to go out on that limb for. But yeah, I can see why that would be frustrating, also, because you're like, well, then why won't you believe in this other thing? Scully? and
0: I mean, and you can flip that, you can flip that back and forth, however many times you want, right? Because then, like, Mulder believes in all this stuff, and she's gonna do this to him later. Like, you believe in all that other stuff, but why won't you believe in this? Right. Like, well, he could just flip that the same way and ask her the same question. So.
1: Right. Exactly. So.
0: And the one thing I do like is, like, we always talk about how, like, Mulder and Skull are in love, and everyone's like, oh, they're so cute, whatever. In my head, I'm kind of like, when Mulder agrees to sniff Owen's body, I'm kind of like, okay, yeah, see, they don't have a relationship dynamic. Because, like, when my wife asks me to smell something, I'm like, no. Because she always asks me, like, does this smell bad? And I'm like, yes, it does. I'm not going to smell it, because I don't want to smell gross stuff. Like, does this food taste rotten? Yes, it does. I'm not going to taste it. If you say it's rotten, it's rotten. I'm going to believe you. So
1: yeah, well, they're definitely not dating yet. And this this will come up in the next two episodes. Not that they're not dating yet, but like Mulder has interest in at least one other woman, possibly Mm. two. And so clearly, but like Scully's also obviously kind of jealous. And so I think right now we can safely say timeline-wise, at least as far as the writers are conceiving it, they are not like a couple in any way yet. So, maybe Mulder's still doing that thing where, like, you know, he's willing to sniff it because they're not, they're and not, they that me. I'm like a married. Like, I don't want to
0: smell something that's going to make me throw up. And I don't want to no, put it in my mouth. And so, like, if you think, right,
1: when someone's like, this is gross, taste it. No, I don't. Do you want think to that milk's it, bad, I'll gross. be like, yes. If you think it's bad, yeah, I think I'm, I'm it's not going to put it in my mouth because I don't want rotten milk in my mouth.
0: So, yes, I'm not going to it. It's just more of like a self preservation thing than anything else, honestly. It has nothing to do with it. I don't know why I brought it up. It's just my Neanderthal brain being like, no. <laughs> oh, not want to die, so I'm not gonna smell it. I think he's stuff. like
1: intrigued <laughs> though because he looks at her like you're really yeah, asking any no. ways and for her to correct herself. And...
0: Also, when he first walks in, he's like, "Any revelations?" Which we get the title. So,
1: yeah, at least they I, got. And again, I don't know one. if that was a
0: pun or not. Right? Was that like a you know like a little punny bit <laughs> in the script, or was that just him using the word like we would use sometimes? Like, have you found anything out? So, like the holy, holy thing. I don't know. But I do not know. Anyway, so we are at State Forensic Laboratory in Hamilton County, Ohio. And I've been slacking. I have not been checking to see if these are real places lately. I don't know what's up with me. Anyway,
1: been busy. probably don't <laughs> care. So they're probably glad I haven't
0: been doing it. Anyway, Mulder is holding the file. And Scully comes in and she's back in her normal clothes, right? And she tells Mulder she got his call and asked what he turned up. And he says, it's what you turned up. Actually, they managed to pull a pair of prints off the burn marks on Owen's neck. You put them into the database And they find out they belong to a businessman named Simon Gates. He's the CEO of a company based in Atlanta. And he's one of the richest men in the South. And Scully
1: is like a powerful
0: and respected man. Like they talked about Kevin's dad, right? And Mulder says he was arrested three years ago for a DUI. After an accident, he caused that left a young boy paralyzed, which I guess is why they have his prints, right? Gates received a suspended sentence and then went to Israel. And then he asked her if she has heard of Jerusalem syndrome. And she says it's when people who visit the Holy Land suffer religious delusions induced by their journey. And I was like, yes, people come home convinced they're the Messiah or Moses or the Virgin Mary or even the devil himself. And he says that's what Gates believes. He's just as delusional as Michael Kreider, but a lot more dangerous. Scully says that doesn't explain how he's able to burn the fingerprints into Owen's flesh, though. I'm thinking maybe he's actually a demon like Donnie Faster.
1: Maybe he is
0: Donnie Faster. Ah, And this is all like a big long con just so he can get Scully again. Oh, no. Maybe.
1: (laughs) I hope not.
0: We'll find out. It'd be nice if that was a tie-in, right? We just mentioned that that's your favorite episode. And then, boom, we get Donnie (laughs) Faster popping back up. That would be sweet.
1: Anyway. Oh, no. Oh, no. So Mulder's phone rings and he answers it. And the person on the other end tells him something and he's like, how is that possible? And so Scully asks if it's about Kevin and Mulder tells her that a social worker apparently took Kevin out to lunch at one o'clock, but witnesses saw Kevin with his mother outside the facility at the same time. And then we see Susan Kreider is standing in front of her car, which is parked on the side of a road and the hood is open and there's steam or smoke rising from the engine and Kevin's in the car. And a car pulls over near them. And like, because the hood is up, Kevin can't really see through the windshield. He can just kind of see the car and the man's like legs, but he can't see the man's face. And the man asks Susan if he can help. And she tells him it's fine. It happens all the time. She just has to wait for it to cool down. But then we see the man is Gates and he says he can help, but she insists that it's fine. And he walks around the side of the car and Kevin finally sees his face. And then Gates pulls the cap off the engine with his bare hands. And Susan's a little spooked by that. And she asks what Gate wants. And he tells her that he thinks she knows.
0: Yeah. And just for some clarification. So it's actually the radiator. It's what steam. And he pulls the cap off the radiator.
1: Yeah. You can tell how much I know about cars.
0: And also, Kevin is, like, sniffing. So I don't know if the dude, like, is giving off, like, some brimstone smell or something. Because, like, before he even sees the dude, he's kind of (laughs) like... Like, you can see him sniffing, and then he sniffs again, and then he sees Gates. So, like, he smells something, too. Just, I don't know. They never go back to that, but I was kind of like, huh.
1: Yeah, it's interesting. I didn't notice that. So, Kevin yells at the man, and we see that he's gotten out of the car, and he's standing off near the trees on the side of the road. And Susan yells to Kevin to run. So, Kevin does, and Susan tries to grab Gates' collar when he, like, tries to go after Kevin to, like, pull him back. But he tosses her to the ground, like it's not even a fight, and chases after Kevin. And then, as soon as Gates is gone, we see Kevin get out of the car, and he runs over to his mom.
0: Yeah, and you heard that right. There's a reason Mulder got that phone call he got earlier. So then Gates chases Kevin, but Kevin trips around in the corner near a bush. And then when Gates catches up, Kevin is gone. So then he turns around, and his own car is like,
1: and
0: like smashes into him, and he rolls over the hood and over the roof of the car. He falls to the ground, and the car keeps going. We find out that Susan is driving and Kevin is with her. But once they're back on the road, cause like when he threw her to the ground, I guess she like hit her head and stuff. Cause she's like all <laughs> kind of bruised up and it's like all kind of like nodding off. She's swerving all over the road. So Kevin was like, mom, mom, wake up. And he's trying to keep her focus. But then like, she's totally going to miss this turn and go like off the road. And it's not like just off the road into like the dirt. It's like, there's looks like there's like a little cliff or something maybe, or a big ditch or something. There's like a little barrier there. So Kevin grabs the wheel and the car makes the turn. But then, like, either overcorrects or, like, flows back or something. And they end up in a ditch.
1: Yeah.
0: yeah. So later, there are police and EMTs at the scene. And Mulder is talking to someone near the car while someone else dusts for prints. And then an ambulance pulls away. And then we see Kevin wrapped in a blanket, seated in the backseat of a car. And Scully is with him. And he's like, my mom died because of me. And Scully tells him it was an accident. And Kevin asks why the man wants to hurt him. Scully says she doesn't know, but she won't let the man hurt him. And so Kevin says it's because he's different, isn't it? He just wants to be like everybody else. And Scully's like, how are you different? And he's kind of quiet for a while. And then he's like, I just am. And then Scully tells him that she and Mulder are going to take him back to the shelter. And he's like, Do I have to go back there? And then Scully's like, No, you don't. So then she walks over to Mulder. And she tells him that she wants to keep Kevin with them until Gates is apprehended. And Mulder's kind of like, hmm. But Scully is like, I am not getting personally involved. Totally getting personally involved. And Mulder asks <laughs> <Yes. laughs> and Mulder asks if Kevin ID'd Gates, which he did. So Mulder says that will help. The car was rented by a man fitting Gates' description under the name Farrell, which is actually one of the devil's disciples. So Mulder and Scully get into their car, and Kevin's in the back seat. And they leave, but then we see that Gates is lurking in a ditch watching him. And he's all, like, muddy because he got wrecked by a car and landed in, like, this muddy grass. So he's kind of messed up looking.
1: Mm-hmm. But, yeah.
0: He's watching. He's watching.
1: So then we're at the Westward Inn, and Scully's in the bathroom with Kevin, and she's running a bath for him. And Kevin pulls up his shirt and she sees this cut on his torso. So she's like staring at the cut and he sees her looking at it. And so he kind of like puts his shirt back down. It's like, don't look at my cut. And so she you gets up. Lady,
0: quit eyeing little kids. <laughs> Where are you from?
1: I think she's worried about the cut and where it came no, from. No, I am just—I
0: was joking that Kevin is like,
1: ooh, she's going to be a pedo. No. I think he also wants to hide the cut because he doesn't want anyone to see more injuries on I'm him. I'm joking.
0: I'm <laughs> joking. I mean, I not think you should be joking about pedophilia, but it's just, yeah.
1: Yeah. So she gets up and she's like, I'll be right outside. And so she closes the bathroom door. And Mulder is sitting on one of the beds and he jokes that she never draws baths for him.
0: Yeah, that was pretty good.
1: There's some good
0: ones in this. There are some good
1: good moments with Mulder and Scully in this one, for sure. And she tells him that Kevin has a cut under his ribs. And Mulder's like, well, yeah, he was in a car accident. And (laughs) And she says when the paramedics looked him over, it wasn't there. And she saw wounds on his hands. They were identical to the wounds of the crucifixion. She didn't say anything before because she wasn't sure. She still isn't. But there have been other signs like how Kevin is able to be in two places at once, just like St. Ignatius in the Bible. And Mulder says the Bible stories are parables. And if Kevin could by-locate, why wouldn't he do it when Owen took him? And Scully asks how Mulder can go out on a limb every time he sees a light in the sky, but he's not willing to accept the possibility of a miracle. And Mulder says that he waits for a miracle every day, but what he's seen has only tested his patience, not his faith. And then she's like, "Well, what about what I've seen?"
0: Yeah. Again, this is where you could you could totally flip it if you wanted to,
1: right? Um, and be like, this. "Well, you know, you've yeah, seen I mean, we, all we, this stuff, Scully. Why don't yeah?" Do we I can, believe we in can keep going back
0: and forth on that with like yes. you could say this, and then she could say that, and then he could say this, and then she mm-hmm. could say that. It's like just yeah. There's actually no Saint Ignatius in the Bible, though. There is a Saint Ignatius. He was beatified in 1609, but he was never known to actually bilocate, Although that is like one of the things that can give you like saints right there are saints who do biolocate. however the revised standard version the catholic edition of the bible which is the official sanctioned version by the catholic church is published by ignatius press so i don't know if that played a role into that or not so hmm. yeah i'm also pretty sure that jesus's wound was from a spear in his side not like some giant like 12 inch scratch down his chest so if you believe your bible stories which is my favorite quote from the writer frankstein dr pretorius if you believe your Bible stories. <laughs> so in the bathroom, now that a creepy Scully is not looking at it, Kevin <laughs> takes off the rest of his clothes and then he's taking off his shoes. And then we see the shadow come across the barred window in the bathroom. Whoa. And then Mulder and Scully hear a noise and Scully goes to the door and asks Kevin if he's okay. And he doesn't respond. So she knocks and then tries to open the door and it's locked. So she's like, I didn't lock it. So Mulder draws his gun Boom, they burst into the bathroom. Kevin is gone, and the bars over the window are bent, like, uh, like someone bent them, and they're mm-hmm. still glowing red from the heat. Mm-hmm. And we have a pretty, commercial. Pretty
1: creepy. So Scully is standing outside the bathroom window as another agent is dusting the bar for prints. Mulder comes over and tells her they put out a cordon in a 10-mile radius, but there's been no sign of them. He thinks the abductor had an acetylene torch in their vehicle to bend the bars like that. And Scully's like, I wasn't out of the room for two minutes. She wants to talk to Kevin's father again. And Mulder's like, why? And Scully says, because he knew Kevin was in danger and he warned of a powerful and respected man. Mulder thinks he's a nutcase, but Scully says, even if he can't help, they aren't doing much good standing around here. Might as well. So at the institution, Michael looks at a photo of Gates and Scully asks if he's ever seen him before, but Michael says no. And he's like, why would anyone want to hurt Kevin? What does he want? And Scully's kind of surprised that he doesn't know because he definitely seemed to have a better idea before. Mm -hmm. And Michael apologizes and he says he's a little foggy right now. And Mulder shows Scully the chart of Michael's medication and she sees that he's been getting tranquilizers and they've recently increased his dosage.
0: Also conveniently just leave his like list of medications he gets in his room. That's-
1: well, yeah. You got to have that around so that when someone comes asking you questions, you can figure <laughs> out where they suddenly have changed their mind and don't know what's going on. So Scully asks him what he meant when he told her that she would have to come full circle to find the truth. And Michael's like, oh, I'm sorry. I don't know. I can't remember. So Scully leaves. And Mulder's phone rings. He chases Scully into the hall and he tells her there was a sighting of Gates at the airport and that he's using the name Farrow again. Scully is looking at the recycle bin and she sees the circle of arrows on it and she remembers that Gates owns a recycling plant and she thinks that's where he has Kevin and Mulder's like if he hasn't killed Kevin yet he's trying to get him as far away as he possibly can but Scully disagrees and Mulder's kind of like, you think you're the one who was chosen to protect Kevin. And Scully says she doesn't know. But if she's wrong, she'll meet him at the airport. And she runs off.
0: Yep. So then we we're at 21st century recycling plant in Jerusalem, Ohio. Ah, see, what <laughs> see what they did there? Yep. And Gates is telling Kevin the sun will turn to darkness and the moon will turn to blood all because of Kevin, and Kevin asks if that's why he wants to hurt him, and Gates says he has to die for the new age to come, And Gates takes his hands, and we see that he's bleeding again, and the blood is coming through the bandages on his hands, and Gates says the others were all false prophets, but Kevin is the true one, and then he puts his hands around Kevin's neck, gonna strangle you kid now, sorry, too bad, but then Scully appears with her gun drawn, and yells, stop, so Gates stops strangling Kevin, grabs Kevin and pulls him up against him, use him as a shield. And Scully tells him to let him go. And Gates says he has been called upon and then disappears. And then he runs over and knocks over this giant tower of recycling to like prevent Scully from trying to follow them. And then he drags Kevin up some stairs. Scully tries to follow and Gates turns on this machine that has like these big spikes. It's basically like an industrial paper shredder. It's just like, let me see paper going into it. And all getting shoot up and takes Kevin up to the railing. Like he's going to throw Kevin in and then Scully appears below on the other side, she got her gun drawn. So Gates grabs Kevin, and then they both disappear over the railing. And we hear Kevin screaming, and Scully runs up, and she looks down in the sorter, and there's just, like, all this, like, newspaper and stuff being shredded in the shredder, but it's also all bloody and gross, and she's like,
1: <gasps> And there's, like, and a hand and body parts. It's pretty gross.
0: Yeah, yeah, we do see, like, a hand and body parts getting chewed up at first, like, you know, like, someone in there, and then it's all bloody. It's, yeah. And then we see Kevin, though, he grabbed the ladder and didn't fall. And he's like, just hanging there. So Scully grabs him and pulls him back on the platform and hugs him. And he's like,
1: I knew you'd come. Yeah. So then it's two days later. And we see Kevin is packing up his stuff in the shelter. And Scully asks if he's all set. And he thanks her. And he extends a hand to shake. And we see that his wounds are gone. So he doesn't have the little holes in his hands anymore. And she says, maybe she'll see him again sometime. And Kevin is just like, you will. And then he leaves. Mulder comes in and he asks Scully if she's okay. They have a few hours before their flight. So Mulder told the sheriff they'd come down and make a formal statement about Gates's death. And Scully tells him she'd appreciate it if he would handle that alone. She has an errand she needs to run. And he nods and he's like, okay. And she's like, okay, I'll see you at the airport.
0: Dude, like Mulder wasn't even there. I don't think that's how that works. Like, he
1: can't, It's like, not. A
0: statement that.
1: I actually thought the same thing because I was kind of like, <laughs> if they had both been there and it was one of those things, like, technically she would need to give a statement anyway. Yeah. But it's definitely not the kind of thing you can just push off. Well, we talked about that a little
0: bit in one of the other episodes when Mulder had to give, like, a deposition in front of Skinner and, like, some higher ups in the FBI. But, like, Scully was there, too. But, like, Scully was like, I don't have to deal with this. And, like, didn't have to. And, like, they would want a statement from her, too.
1: Right, I don't remember which episode yeah. that
0: was. I think it was in one of the two parters, but I don't mm-hmm. the most recent one. Maybe it was like in *Colony* in *Game* or something. But uh, yeah, but yeah, definitely this one because, like, yeah, Mulder wasn't even there, man.
1: He can't—that's not how that works, right?
0: That's when cops are covering up for each other. Is when that kind of stuff happens.
1: Mm-hmm. Yeah,
0: so, not great, but TV.
1: Yeah, it's TV. So, Scully is in a confessional, and she tells the priest that it's been six years since her last confession. Since then, she's drifted away from the church. And he asks her if she's come to confess, and she says, no. There's a man she works with, a friend. Usually, she's able to discuss these things with him, but not this. And then she asks the priest if he believes in miracles. And he says, of course, I see them every day. The rising sun, the birth of a child... And Scully's like, no, I mean events that defy explanation. Things that she believes helped her save a young boy's life. But now she's wondering if she saw them at all. And the priest asks why she doubts herself. And she says, because her partner didn't see or believe them. And usually he believes without question. And the priest says, well, maybe they weren't meant for him to see. Maybe they were only meant for you. Perhaps she saw them because she needed to. And she's like, to find my way back. And he says, sometimes you must come full circle to find the truth. And he can tell she's surprised by that. And so he asks why. And she says, it makes me afraid that God is speaking, but no one is listening.
0: Oh, that last, I'm sorry, the last <laughs> line was gross. It's just like, oh come on. Anyway. But yeah, it was fine until then. Just that last bit was all like basically like, like full face, like headshot of her while she says it. Like, I'm afraid that God is speaking and no one is listening. That's why our world is awful.
1: Yeah, I mean, I don't. I'm not. Yeah, I'm a heretic, so I don't know.
0: They should have made the priest look like gates at the end. That would have been Uh awesome. Like, oh, like, that's the kind of thing like that hokey shit like that. I will eat that up. That's the kind of stuff I love. Not this little like, I mean, they don't. I mean, it's not super like that, but like sometimes they go way too serious on some of this stuff. Kind of like this end line here. It's like, I don't want that. I want I I want like I want like crap that is like, yeah, that's not believable, but like it's interesting. So yeah,
1: I feel like sometimes in the last few lines, and this this comes up in the next episode too, but like it's just one of the things where they try to like hammer home a message. It came up in the walk mm-hmm. as well, where they're trying to like give yeah. you some message or like put a fine point on it or something. It's like we don't we that's don't need that's that. That. the better
0: way it's not like the faux seriousness, it's like the we're going to do a message, which I'm going to
1: underline. You know, yeah. The, yeah. The, the theme of this episode, as far as we're concerned is X and here it is yeah. underlined for you. I prefer like, um, just, like
0: just, yeah, just go with it. Boom. Like make it, make it over the top. Yeah.
1: So it's one of those things where they put that point on it and it's kind of like, Oh, we don't, we don't need that though. We know we got it. Yeah, we we, we were watching. They
0: need to, uh, we recently just watched something. It is totally over the top.
1: Freaking love it. So,
0: you'll be hearing that next week, actually. A uh, little Thanksgiving present. Yeah.
1: yeah. Yeah. And it's, I mean, it's fine. It was definitely a 90s kind of thing, I think, where they were like, well, especially the X Files has this thing where they're like, we just need to tell you the message. It's like, we get it. We you know. We watch the episode. We understand the message. You don't need to point it out at the end. But yeah, that was definitely.
0: Apology is policy. <laughs> <laughs>
1: Still not on any T-shirts. I still haven't seen it anywhere, so I'm just saying. Not Oh not man, we the need a T-shirt one. that
0: says, "I'm afraid that God is speaking and no one is listening." Maybe we need one.
1: <laughs> so, speaking of religion on TV, Chris Carter has spoken about how dealing with it is always kind of fraught because the networks are always worried about angering people, and he feels that they handled it well in this episode. It was kind of more about whether you believe in miracles or don't, not whether God exists or not, which is, I guess, the thing that networks get up in arms about. Like, they don't want to have episodes. Mm-hmm. Is God real? Have we killed him? You know, they don't want that stuff.
0: Which, ironically, the last line is probably where I would be like, they failed the most at that. But
1: anyway. <laughs> yeah. But both he and Nutter enjoyed flipping the script on Mulder and Scully. And Chris Carter actually said, we set the religious aspects against the paranormal, which is. Why can Mulder believe in things that go bump in the night, but when Scully believes in a miracle, he shuts her down? I think it was one thing juxtaposed with the other that gave this episode its interest. So yeah,
0: and like we said, like why is it also the other way around? Like why it, yeah. Mulder believes in stuff? Why does she automatically, especially when she also like in this she says like, well, what about what I've seen? And like she things she has seen, she still doesn't believe in. So it's like okay. yeah, yeah, it's, yeah.
1: But I mean, she definitely. It's just yeah, it is fascinating to me from a character standpoint to be like, what do each of them believe? And I do find that really yeah. interesting. Well, and so. that I
0: mean that is how it works in real life too. I mean it's not like that's like some like trope they came up with. I mean, that's how it works. so right.
1: Well, I know, but just yeah. like if you're analyzing if you like to analyze characters yeah. in the way that a lot of people do, like I think it's fascinating because like why do I believe in the stuff I believe in but not in other stuff. Like I don't really mm. believe in astrology, but when Mercury was in retrograde, I was like, man, everything sucks right now. And (laughs) do I believe in astrology? I don't know. Maybe a little. But also, I think it's nonsense. Anyway, it's hard to draw that line sometimes. And then Nutter, as we know, it's his last episode on the X-Files. And he said his decision to leave was in part motivated by the tremendous enthusiasm he saw in Kim Manners and Rob Bowman because he knew the X-Files would be in good hands. So he was yeah. he realized he could move on and do something. Yeah, like, else. It's
0: kind of a weird way to say like my decision was motivated by their tremendous Yeah. Enthusiasm. It is a
1: weird way to phrase it to say motivation
0: sure. sounds weird like I was motivated to quit because I was well, maybe not quit, but like I was motivated to leave because these other people are really enjoying their job. And I'm
1: like, mm-hmm. that weird. and honestly, I don't remember so. if that's my bad wording or not that I think that wasn't, but it might've been. Yeah.
0: And I even put that in the notes uh, that <laughs> maybe he just phrased it wrong. And that's not what he meant. I don't know. So. I mean,
1: that's not what he meant because the whole thing is a long, a long thing about yeah. how so like, it so started working on the X-Files. So, yeah. Yeah.
0: So it, it's a, it's a, it's a word he used. Like I always use the right word all the time when I'm talking, Talking that is also out of context. So yeah, yeah. just um, that little snippet sounds weird. Like I was I was motivated by the patrons' enthusiasm to leave the show. It's like, what?
1: what, what, what? <laughs> Which so, would make yeah. sense if he was talking about how he lost enthusiasm or something, but he doesn't seem yeah, like that's what I he's know. saying. But
0: yeah, but basically he was like, Okay, I, I was thinking about leaving, and now I think that like this makes my decision easier. I'm not gonna feel bad about leaving because he's a, I know it's in good hands, like he said. So yeah. Yep. We're, we're wordsmiths, that's all I know. So <laughs>
1: awesome. We're good at what we do.
0: We're good at talking and stuff. Yep. yep. Say so, you got anything else or are we going to go right into the ratings?
1: I don't really have anything else like this okay. episode. Yeah. I guess the
0: only thing I have to say is just the stigmata marks are always in the palms. I mean, they would have actually been in the wrists, not in mm-hmm. the palms, because there's, like, if you put the hand, meat, and bones can't hold the human body, and in other, in, like, in real, like, archaeological things of, like, people who have been crucified, the marks are always in the wrist, because that is stronger, you know, so, yeah, but yeah. they're always, iconography-wise, are always in the hands for some reason.
1: Yeah, I was, that was one of the things in this episode that bumped me a little, because I remember them being in the wrists, and I yeah. say, remember from other media and things. Obviously, I was one of the, the Christians. Yeah.
0: And Jesus <laughs> is popping in saying, hey, Tori, what's going yeah. on?
1: Yeah. Yeah. You know how it is. Me and Jay yeah, hanging out. Just, yeah. <laughs> but yeah. So I was like, oh, it's weird that it's in his palm. And then I realized, like, that's just the imagery that they always use. So.
0: Yeah, I was going to make a joke about the Virgin Mary I always popping in and harassing me but I was decided not to be too <laughs> heretical, So, and then I said it anyway out loud so it doesn't matter yeah. Yeah. Ratings, ratings, rating, ratings, ratings. Oh. before we alienate everybody else
1: yeah. yeah, I feel like this one is okay, it's not my favorite episode, it's not there are a lot of really good Mulder and Scully moments, which are fun. There's some good jokes in here. It's funny without being, like, the aggressive. Like, I love Darren Morgan's humor, but it's not that aggressive kind of humor. It's, like, definitely well, more subtle. Here's and the more thing.
0: I don't even mind the aggressive humor. It's that it's aggressive and nonstop. That's, it's the nonstop. Yeah. Part so mm-hmm.
1: but this isn't like that this is a lot more subtle but it's still funny it works yeah
0: and, and some of them some i'm not moments. even sure if they were jokes like the little wordplay stuff i don't know so
1: yeah i'm assuming so because i'm assuming that's not an accident but yeah you never know but like just the stuff about Mulder, like putting the blood in his mouth and scully's face oh, or like asking him to great. smell the corpse like
0: the visuals see? on that or what made it even better just because like yes. i said like he does it and then like he's got like it on his teeth and on his lip and stuff
1: yeah, it's it's very good so plot of this one again i'm i'm a heretic so a lot of these bible stories you could like i don't know saint ignatius i know he's not really in the bible but i wouldn't know that because i don't know who is so that stuff to me is always like i don't really know what's going on i'll just believe whatever you tell me which maybe makes it easier for the tv show to be honest because like i don't i'm like cool sounds true <laughs> sounds legit to me yeah.
0: apparently the first known like Biolocation thing that is for like Christianity was like the year forty. I forget who the person was, so I'm not even sure if that's in the Bible either. Though I don't know. if There's any. I think there's some biolocation with Jesus, but I am not sure. So I am sorry if I am incorrect. But if there if there is biolocation in the Bible, I believe it's only with Jesus. So I could be wrong. I don't know.
1: Interesting. Yeah. Yeah, I think this one. I keep one... saying
0: biolocations. It's biolocation, not bio, yeah.
1: Biolocate. Yeah. No, Good.
0: Okay. Awesome with words. So, it's
1: okay. I think this is a 6.
0: A 6, okay.
1: Yeah.
0: 6 Aroni, San Francisco treat. Okay. <laughs> All right. Well, I think I am going to go with a 7 actually. Oh, nice. Yeah, I kind of liked it. I mean, yeah, there was some there there wasn't, I mean, I talked about some stuff in here, but I mean, it was kind of a good story. I mean, I think it the thing is, like this topic is a little bit more old school, which I'm gonna obviously trend towards because I'm old. So, you know, the whole like stigmata and that kind of stuff, like old school, like paranormal crap. Like I'm big on that. It's also like stigmata is also kind of hokey in my opinion. And so I realize some people take it super seriously, but it does meet that. The end was kind of like, ugh, with a little,
1: oh
0: God, I'm not listening. But yeah. But yeah, <laughs> it was it was it kind of started to get those buttons that like what I want in this show that I don't always get is I like Mm -hmm. more like, just like be not be goofy, but like, just like, go, just go with it. Like, if you're going to talk about it, just just do it. Like, don't try and make it like real life or super like explain the crap out of everything. Just just go with it. Just do it. So that's what I like to see.
1: Yeah. And they do, they go for it. So
0: six and seven. All right. Yeah. That is two. That's three episodes this season that I have rated higher than you.
1: Interesting. Although
0: I think you're going to switch one of them so we're going to be the same, but we'll find that out the season wrap up. Yeah. 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 And we're only on episode 11, three out of 11. Yeah. Wow. Oh, man. Is this where Nick turns?
1: We'll <laughs> see. We
0: shall see. All right. Well, I don't got nothing else.
1: No, I don't either.
0: Yeah. Okay, well, I guess we're done then.
1: All right. I Want to Rewatch is hosted by Tori and Nick and edited by Lazy End Productions, also known as Nick.
0: That's right. Um, I might as well just say I made this every time you say my name because, like, let's be honest. I mean, you're just hired talent. <laughs> they don't pay you. So, yeah, we made this. I made this. claire made it. We hope you join us next time as we re-watch The X-Files Season 3, Episode 12, War of the Coprophages.
1: And try to figure out if, if the truth, truth is, is still, still out, out there. there. The truth is what we make of it. we're doing the patreon thing <laughs> the end I
0: don't, I don't know what to do i don't know how to fucking end these podcasts
1: i know it's hard i mean it's um, kind of we weird end with
0: be like okay i mean that's like, like okay like the all righty the okay and then we just go into the end credits so all righty
1: then boom there we're done okay all right Mm-mm.